On today's show, apparently James Harden has become priority target number one for the Houston Rockets this offseason. Is bringing James Harden back a good thing or a bad thing? We're going to unpack some of the concerns as well as some of the benefits to what a James Harden return would mean for Houston. How does it impact what they do with the number four overall pick in this year's draft? Also, could Coach Mahmoud Abdel-Fadah be joining Ime Udoka on the sideline next season? All of that and more coming up right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. The Houston Rockets select Jalen Green, Alperon Shengun, and Jabari Smith Jr. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. Every time I step on that floor, I'm coming. Hey, Houston fans, I am so happy. You're getting somebody who's going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, somebody who's going to come, come in and compete from day one. Six, five, four, three, two. One. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin and the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including YouTube. Go to YouTube, search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on the way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for making LOR part of your day every single day. Joining us now is your weekly co-host, none other than the Podfather himself, Rockets Wire editor Ben Dubose. You can track down on Twitter at Ben Dubose. And Ben, we've got more James Harden talk today. And, you know, whether you like it or not, it's not going anywhere anytime soon for the next six weeks or so up until the NBA draft. And even further past that, up until free agency actually hits, it's going to be James Harden talk 24-7. We're also going to unpack a little bit about what it might mean for the Houston Rockets and their direction that they go with the NBA draft, as well as some news and notes about what to expect from Ime Udoka's coaching staff moving forward. But let's start with the Harden news because good friend of the show, Kelly Eco, reported over at at The Athletic, former franchise player and current 76ers guard James Harden is the top target for Houston in free agency, according to league sources. Now, this isn't exactly, you know, bombshell news. We know that Harden has been at the top of the pecking order and, you know, high on the priority list for the Rockets for some time now. At this point, though... I've been sort of like sort of anti-Harden. I, you know, I think that I have my, you know, some pretty distinct reservations about the idea of bringing him back. I know you've been more in the pro-Harden camp at this point. So try and sell me on this because I, I've got some very serious concerns about bringing him back to the Rockets. So first things first, let me say that I am already exhausted by this James Harden discussion. I'm old enough to remember, and it was only two weeks ago when I was actually getting criticized on social media from the pro-Harden folks for not being supportive enough during that Celtics 76ers playoff series, because in my opinion, it was clear if you read the tea leaves that Harden was much more likely to consider his options if they went out sad, which the Sixers ultimately did. And I think that's contributed to the growing narratives the last couple of weeks of Harden looking elsewhere, be it the Rockets the Suns, or somewhere other than Philadelphia, where they don't even have a coach at the moment. We'll see what happens on that front. Look, as far as James and the Rockets, for me, it comes down to the terms. I'm supportive within reason. I think the most persuasive argument that I've heard in all these months, and it goes back to the first report on Christmas when the rumor mill really got kicked up into overdrive. I talked to Dave Hardesty of Clutch Fans and, of course, Rockets Watch when I had him on my podcast, The Logger Line, and 
his argument a few months back for James boiled down to this. What better are you going to do with the cap room? And to me, that's the way you should look at any signing, not just James. It's not as if any player you could conceivably sign this offseason is going to put the Rockets into contention mode or anything close to that within the next couple of years. Now, there is a point in which the terms, the trade-offs are too much. I would agree, especially after seeing some of the slippage in Harden's game and the reduced finishing ability, that a four-year max for $200 million paying him through his age 37 season, that's too much. And you may be having to give him too much control of the organization in that scenario as well. You would basically be making him the face of the franchise if you do that. For me, that's a bit too much, especially when you consider not just the age, but also the decline we saw late in the year as, and this happens with a lot of older players, he's going to turn 34 years old this summer, as really the mileage started to creep up with the workload he took on this season. So I would say there are certainly limits, and I would say four years, 200 million is definitely one of those for me where it's too much. But if he is willing to sign on a relatively team-friendly deal, for me, it's no more than two fully guaranteed years, something similar to Chris Paul in Phoenix, albeit for closer than the max. The point is conceptually the same in which there's only a couple of seasons that are guaranteed and the rest, while it might look like a four-year deal, it's really not because the team has some outs if they need them due to his age and the likelihood that a player in that age range could potentially decline. If his interest in Houston, and there's been enough leaks to this point that I think it's genuine, makes him willing to take a short-term deal, then to me, a guy who averaged 20-plus points, 10-plus assists per game on strong efficiency, led the entire league in assists, would instantly make you relevant and placing many of your top prospects, Jalen Green, Jabari Smith Jr., whoever you pick at number four overall this year, into a contending environment. If the terms are friendly... I have a tough time seeing what you can do better with the cap room. That's the argument that Dave made to me, and it stuck with me all those months. The bottom line is that the Rockets coming off three consecutive years with 22 wins or less, they're not super attractive on the market right now. Players are not beating down the door to sign with the Houston Rockets, especially not on a value deal. This is always, whether you sign James Harden or anyone else, about building a bridge to three, four years from now when you're actually ready to contend. And the odds are, for financial reasons or otherwise, whoever you sign this summer probably is not going to be on your roster three, four, five years from now For by the time you're actually trying to contend. So the bottom line is, how do you get from point A to point B? It's unlikely that whoever you sign this summer is going to be a role player for you for the next 10 years as you hope to build a sustainable contender. That's not the way the modern NBA works. It's about the transition process. And for me... If the terms are right, if James answers the questions appropriately in the interview process in terms of hopefully this time being just one of 15 and not having the organization run around him the way it was for his first eight seasons in Houston, then yeah, I'm open to it because when you look at his on-court value, I just don't know how the Rockets can conceivably do much better than that from a value perspective with that cap space this summer. And I think where we get into some of the areas of, of, of immense concern for me and many others is, you know, how this decision potentially maps out the rest of the Rockets offseason, which we're going to unpack a little bit further on. I, I, I want to point out, I'm in agreement with you, Ben, to an extent, right, where to me it's about two different things. It's about the expectations of a hard return versus also the logistics of a hard return, right? And I think right now it very much feels like, you know, majority of Rockets fans and potentially, you know, the organization as well are kind of on the same page 
from the expectation standpoint where no, nobody thinks James Harden is coming back to win you titles. If James Harden comes Mm -hmm. back to Houston, it's very clearly signaling a different stage in his career where he is moving on from, you know, pursuing titles, that kind of thing. There's been, again, some reported, you know, news about the fact that, you know, Harden coming back is, you know, has reasons aside from just the basketball component to Mm -hmm. it, you know, wanting to come home, wanting to be closer to his family, um, that it's deeper than basketball, all that stuff. And so I think we're all on the same page kind of on, on, Point number one, but then logistically is where I get the cutoff again. Four years, 200 million. And I know you make the point, right? It's about bridging the gap between the here and now to when this team is actually, you know, ready to take those steps, you know, three, four years from now being a contender and that it's unlikely for any role players that you might sign this offseason to be able to bridge that gap. I just think that when you look at the way moves are done at the NBA level, right? Having two to three role players and having guys on, you know, various deals of, you know, 20 million here, 25, 15, whatever, being able to cobble together a potential trade further down the line for whoever the next distressed asset is, whoever the next superstar is that becomes available to be able to be maybe that final piece to put you over the top further down the line. I think that suddenly you don't have that option anymore. If you've got a James Harden on the books for 50 million or even 40 million, that becomes a much harder piece that you pretty much, you lose all your flexibility. You are locked into that guy for four years. I actually don't entirely agree. I think number one, you will have some flexibility because you still have the very trade friendly Kevin Porter Jr. contract. And if he's not your point guard, then he's less important to your long-term formula. It's only trade friendly for one year. Well, it is, but I would say that even on a two-year deal, which is what they would have to do by 2024, I don't all of a sudden think he's going to be an albatross. You also have Jay Sean Tate, but here's the other part that's really critical with James Harden. If it is a short-term deal, even if it's 40, 50 million, you can move that as an expiring, especially if you... Yeah, I, 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 I've, I've made the argument that the final year of his deal, right? The final year of his deal does not become because he becomes an expiring deal. And that's that's the same right. with James Harden. It's the same with Ben Simmons. It's the same with any bad contract. It was the same with John Wall this past season is it becomes a large expiring deal that does have some intrinsic value to it. And it's not necessarily, the you know, a, a you know, a death sentence to be locked into that that amount of money. But you are locked into it until that final year, which is why we get back to you talked about. You know, two two years, the years, it becomes a no-brainer. If you can get James Harden on a team-friendly contract, two years, a two-plus-one, you know, non-guaranteed money in years three and four, that kind of thing, I'm all for it. I I would be here for it. It's just so much of the reporting, so many of the rumors centered around the situation have pointed and painted the picture that he wants a four-year max. And that's where the cutoff is to me. I want your thoughts, though, here in a moment about what would an ideal contract look like. We're going to lay out the terms, that kind of thing, the money behind it. We're going to get there in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the exact same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to the My Garage section and look for the green check to know that the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, It's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. So, Ben, when you're looking at 
a potential James Harden deal. And, and for, for everybody who's watching, for everybody on YouTube, go give us, drop your terms. What would you be comfortable with for a James Harden contract? Let us know in the YouTube comments. Ben, what are you looking at when you think a two, you know, a, a friendly deal for James Harden to return to Houston? Where is your absolute cutoff? What is the most you would be willing, if you were the Rockets, to commit to in a James Harden return at this point? To me, it's pretty simple. I would say two fully guaranteed years. Yes, at the max. You can make an argument, as you said, for a tradable salary, but I think there's still a way that even James Harden at the max, close to $45, $50 million in average annual value, you can still have tradable salary between, mentioned Kevin Porter Jr., Jay Sean Tate. You'll still have some room this year to make an additional signing, perhaps a Bruce Brown type, and you'll also have the room exception. You can potentially send KJ Martin into restricted free agency and give him a new deal that makes him trade eligible as well. And then, then if we're talking about Harden on a short-term deal, then once Harden gets to the last year of his contract, as you just laid out, he's tradable as well. So I'm not that worried about the tradable salary angle. I've seen some trying to draw a hard line with the salary the first two years. I honestly don't see why. You have a pretty full rotation as it is between the starting lineup from last year. You're adding a super high lottery pick this year. In this hypothetical, we're talking about Harden and at least one other player. And you already have seven players from last year in your rotation, plus the draft picks, plus the guys we're talking about. I don't see a point in drawing a hard line in terms of what the average annual value is as long as the deal is short. If you can get James Harden on a two-year deal, I don't mind giving him the max because, quite frankly, I, I don't know what you would really do with that money. Where are you going to fit that guy in the rotation? And you can figure out the tradable salary in, in other ways. So for me, as long as it's not a long-term deal, I would give him the max, but I would just draw a hard line after two years. Maybe give him a small partial guarantee for year three, but make it, make it an amount that's much less than certainly the max. That's why, again, I say partial guarantee to the point where he would be highly likely to decline it, even if he's suffered some form of age-related decline in the so, game. So like so like 120 million guaranteed, where it's like 50, 50, and then like 20 million guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying, like 15 or 20 for year three, something that he is highly likely uh, to decline. It just gives him a little bit of insurance for the absolute worst case scenario. That's where I am. The bottom line is, two years because if it's two years or less that really doesn't curtail your flexibility at all a two-year or less deal may as well be a one-year deal because as you were saying once he becomes an expiring you can easily offload him if need be if you need to spend elsewhere if there's something better that you think you can do with with that financial slot then yeah once he's expiring that's not going to be a problem to ditch if you need to for I, me the big cutoff is between two and three years i think i can get on board with a two to three year deal again under the under the the circumstances that we're laying out right here i think i can get behind that i still have other reservations elsewhere about his his organizational impact what it would look like on the court i do think there are uh, to, to unpack some of that i will say i want to push back really quick on I see some Rockets fans like in the YouTube comments and elsewhere on social media, whatever, talking about, oh, well, if you if you sign James Harden to a max, even if it's, you know, a couple years, whatever, that's going to prevent you from, you know, what what happens when you have to pay Jalen and Shingoon and, and, and Jabari. Okay, well, first off, the benefit to drafting your own players is you can always go over the right. over the tax line to re-sign those players. So let's say Jalen, let's say all these guys hit. Jalen's a star, Jabari's a star, Shingoon's a star. The Rockets are going to pay to keep those guys regardless, right? They're going to they're gonna ink the contract and then they will figure out later on what needs to happen, which pieces need to be moved if they are committing too much money to all these guys. But it's always at the NBA level, 
99% of the time, it's commit the money first, figure out things later. If you, if you decide you need to move on from a guy or you committed the money and you, you don't think he's a long-term part of your future, whatever. If you've got the talent in-house, you commit to it, you use those bird rights. So that's not even a, rel- you know, a relevant concern at this point for Rockets fans. Where I'm at though, Ben, is I do think there are merits you know, to bringing back James Harden, right? He, he will elevate the floor of the team. He'll make life easier mm-hmm. for guys like Jalen and Jabari. It's actually really funny. I thought Paul George, you know, was really uh, kind of hit the nail on the head in some of his comments in his podcast with Jalen Green, at least on the front of saying, you know, he'll make life easier to an extent. But there is just, again, if you bring back James Harden, you're committing to playing Harden ball. You're committing to playing a certain style with James Harden dominating the basketball when he's on the floor for the for the minutes he's on there. He's not going to suddenly change how he plays in, you know, at, at age 34. He's not going to suddenly be an off-ball threat. He's not going to suddenly be a guy who's moving around. You know, how much does that ultimately limit the ceiling of what this Rockets team can achieve, at least offensively, when Jalen has the ball in his hands? And if you've got James Harden being statuesque 30 feet away from the basket, just waiting for the ball to get back to him if if the play breaks down or whatever. I know there are benefits. You can look at how Tyrese Maxey has flourished yep. next to James Harden, and that is absolutely one comparison that you can draw. I get it. Tyrese Maxey has developed and grown a ton next to James Harden, but that entire system is still very much predicated on James has the ball in his hands and there are some possessions, right? There's a little bit of your turn, my turn to give the ball to Tyrese and he'll, he'll, you know, do his thing for a possession or two. But I do think right while it elevates the floor, it lowers the overall potential ceiling for what I think Jalen Jabari, Shingun, what these guys can grow into on their own without a James Harden demanding the basketball. You can make the argument, but I would also say that it gives you more outs when it comes to building your ultimate contender. Because when I listen to Paul George make those comments, while there is validity to them in isolation, if you just listen to that 30 seconds of audio, it's not as if anything he's saying is fundamentally wrong. However, the likelihood that Jalen Green is going to be so good that he is the undisputed top option for a championship-level team I don't know. That's a lot to ask, even with some positive signs in the first two years. What if he's not quite to that level? And if that's the case, then he's going to have to learn to play alongside another top offensive option anyway. Maybe he's not capable of being that guy. And so him learning alongside Harden to do more things off the ball, I know it's not a perfect comparison, but look at how Devin Booker evolved playing next to Chris Paul. And of course, as the years progress, now the offense largely runs through Devin Booker. It wasn't quite the same way when Chris Paul first got there in late 2020. I just don't think it's quite as simple in practice when we talk about this idea of you run everything through Jalen. He's the king of Houston, as Paul George put it. That sounds good in terms of reality, unless he is so transcendent that we're talking about a Top five, top 10 player, at least on offense. That's a lot to ask to build a contender with that model. The reality is that eventually you're probably going to have to blend multiple styles of play anyway, multiple creators. And so I I don't necessarily see the harm, especially if we're talking a short-term deal, in seeing how Jalen Green looks next to James Harden and perhaps it unlocks more off-ball layers to his game. Also, I wasn't necessarily arguing the point, oh, run everything through Jalen. No, I think Jalen is going to, I think I want to see Jalen use more off ball. I want to see him used in actual sets and actions and and Mm -hmm. designed plays to maybe get him catching the ball at the elbow or catching the ball downhill or running him off some pin down threes. I want to see those things. I don't think James is that type of Offensive conductor is the problem. James plays Harden ball. It's not that James is incapable of running actions or running plays or or doing this, but stylistically, James and 
Chris Paul are two very different guards when they run an offense, right? James dissects when he's on the court, right? James Mm -hmm. will run heavy pick and roll or he'll get, he'll look for the mismatch, get into isolation, and then he will pick apart a defense over 15 to 20 seconds. And then as soon as the defense has that one slip up, that one mistake, then he capitalizes, he collapses and kicks it out to an open shooter. That's his brand of basketball. And that's what the Rockets would be signing up for, which is not the end of the world. It means that Jalen and Jabari would get some of the easiest wide open looks. They'll be able to attack defenses that are scrambling obviously but I don't think James Harden running the show means we're going to get Jalen Green coming off pin down screens or catching the ball at the elbow and and you know hitting jumpers and being utilized in creative offensive ways I think it's going to be a lot of James is the initial point of attack and then the other guys are going to be able okay. to tack off of whatever James does and that is what I'm talking about by lowering the ceiling of what this team might be able to achieve offensively Fair enough. I was taking the Paul George comments at face value when he was basically saying, Jalen, you're the man. And if you bring in James, then you're not the man. I don't necessarily think it's that simple. I do think that there are merits to teaching Jalen Green to play off ball a bit more and perhaps using his speed, especially if we're talking just a year or two. Boy, Tyrese Maxey really took off on some of the leverage situations that he found himself getting due to James Harden. That was such a huge part of him being able to use his speed to his advantage. And I could see Jalen Green doing much the same thing. But you're right from your, the standpoint of it's not exactly like that's a called play. You're not running your offense specifically for that. That's just a byproduct of Harden ball. And all of a sudden the ball gets to Tyrese Maxey, or in this case, Jalen Green, in a much more favorable situation. I think there's merits to that. I think it can help. But yeah, it's not the same as like running your offense through, you know, pin downs and plays that are specifically drawn up for Tyrese Maxey or Jalen Green. That that's a fair distinction. And, and, and I will and I will say also, while I do think that Harden and Shingun would absolutely be able to coexist in the capacity that James Harden loves playing with high IQ guys, and we saw him years ago having success with Donatus Modihunis, right? There are there there is historical precedent for James Harden can make it work with that type of player, a guy who's not necessarily like an Uber athlete, somebody who plays above the rim, a la a Clint Capella or yeah. you know, a, a, a dominant force like a Joel Embiid. He can make it work with Shingun. I'm sure he would love playing with Shingun. You're not getting shin hub offense if James Harden comes back to town. That's not happening. It's gone. Well, well, it wouldn't happen when James is on the floor. There, now, there, uh, there would you be... go. So then we're back to the whole, okay, so you can run shin hub offense when your dynamic creating two guard is sitting on the bench a la KPJ. Are we back to that discussion now? Like it's. Yeah, I mean, I. I guess, although James is clearly a much oh, better yeah, player. Oh, absolutely, right? You, you make that concession for a James Harden, but that's just another one of those, look, like, how many concessions are you willing to make is, is where we're yeah, getting at. Yeah, it's fair. I would just say that for me, as with anything, there are trade-offs. And as I see it, the trade-off of getting them in a much more relevant environment is worth, for a year or two, that sacrifice in terms of stylistic how exactly does your offense function? For me, that trade-off is worth it. Assuming that James is bought in, assuming that he doesn't want to be the dominant force, not just on the court, but off the way he controlled the organization before. These are valid questions. I will say when people point out the usual criticisms on Twitter, and I've heard them ad nauseum in the last few days, first off, financially, we're in alignment. You don't give them a four-year max. I'm only talking about these short-term scenarios. And then for the rest of it, in terms of leadership, Look, you can say what you will about him being a diva at times, and it's true, but there's a reason why 
all the organizations that have dealt with him in the past continue to want him. There's a reason why Gerald Morey, after seeing him all those years in Houston, worked so hard to get into Philadelphia and is working so hard right now to try and convince him to come back. He referred to that as plan A in his end-of-season press conference after they let go of Doc Rivers, which may have been motivated by a desire to keep James happy. The Rockets, even if Rafael Stone wasn't the GM, Rafael Stone, Eli Whitus, a lot of the front office, they were around then, they want him back. So yes, while the warts are real, the criticisms are real in terms of his leadership and how he runs things, at the same time, I think there's also relevance in saying, hey, the people that know him best that watch him on a daily basis, they all seem to think that it's worth it. And so that's why I will show some deference as someone that's not in the locker room it's not behind those closed doors on a regular basis to see what he's like as a leader and how he interacts with his teammates to me i tend to give him the benefit of the doubt because it's pretty telling the way people that work with you extremely closely feel about you and it's pretty clear that in the case of james harden he does something that makes people that know him best stand by him and have his back at all cost. And so to me, that gives the benefit of the doubt. There's hard conversations that need to be had. There's questions that need to be asked. But that's part of why I go into this process with an open mind. I think it's telling that the people that work with James the closest are the ones that seem to have the most interest. They see the value there. The other angle of concern here, uh, how much impact does a potential James Harden return have on what ultimately happens with that number four overall pick? We're going to unpack that coming up here in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, Ben, the other angle to consider here is what do the Rockets ultimately do with that number four overall selection? Now, there was a report, apparently rival teams believe that James Harden's return to the Rockets is certain and thus doubtful Houston trades up for Scoot Henderson. But if Harden isn't headed to Houston, Henderson would address the team's current roster needs. A source told Bleacher Report that the Rockets are content with their choices at number four, specifically Amon and Asar Thompson. Now, I think that at least internally right now, the right the Rockets have viewed this draft as a as a one person draft, right? Victor Wembanyama yes. bust basically, and they very clearly, you know, at least as as far as I understand it, have Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, and Amon Thompson kind of all in that next tier uh, yes. of guys with without any one of them being clearly superior to the other. Now, first off, I think that is a mistake. I think Scoot Henderson is clearly in a tier of his own and many others feel the same way. Then there's also many others who think Brandon Miller is, you know, in a tier mm. of his own and Scoot and Amon are the next two guys. Then there's even internal belief around the league that maybe Amon Thompson is, you know, as high as number two on certain, you know, on certain boards mm. across the NBA landscape. So really it's kind of a toss up at this point, how certain teams are evaluating these guys, where certain guys may go. There is still that, chance however small that Scoot Henderson may fall to pick number four where I am a bit concerned though is the idea that maybe that the organization is so committed to a James Harden return that they are willing to just be content with whatever happens at number four so be it right they're just like you know what Mm -hmm. we really kind of don't care who shows up to us at four because we've got James Harden coming down the line right and to me and, you know, it doesn't matter because if the Rockets don't view Scoot Henderson as the type of prospect that I view him as or that other people yeah. view him as, it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. You can't expect them to trade up for that guy unless they view him as the yeah. guy. But I don't want to walk away from this draft and, and be revisiting it four or five years from now and thinking, man, you know, Scoot Henderson turned out to be 
the real deal and the Rockets didn't go get him because they were content with a James Harden return. They felt they had James Harden in the bag and they're like, you know what? We'll be yeah. fine with whoever we get it for because of XYZ Harden reason. So I would agree with you if that were the case. I just don't think it is. I think it's very important this time of year to try and distinguish between what's reporting and what is supposition. And in the case of, for example, I think it was the Bleacher Report article this morning, there was some real reporting in there that the Rockets like both of the Thompson twins. I believe it was that article. It might have been Kelly Eco's. But yes, like that's an actual report saying I have intel from the Rockets front office that they like both of these guys. Okay. And I would agree with that from what I've heard too. I do think they see them as legitimate prospects. However, what supposition is this rival executives think. That's narrative-based journalism. I'm not saying it's inappropriate. Again, a lot of what sports media is these days is driving constant discussions, but it is not necessarily based in fact. In this case, it is an executive from another team that is attempting to put some color on this tidbit and say, this is perhaps why it might be the case. Every time I have talked to the Rockets, they have denied quite strongly this idea that there's a correlation between any free agency pursuit and what they do with their draft pick. The bottom line is, especially when we're talking about James Harden, who's going to turn 34 years old this summer, we're talking about him as a one or two year stopgap. And I should point out, it's not just the conversations between me and you. Every time I have talked to people within the building at Toyota Center, be it about James Harden or anyone else, what it comes down to is terms and value. I don't get the sense that there's any player, not even James Harden, that they are saying, this is clearly our guy. We will go whatever we have to go to to make the deal happen, i.e. a four-year max. I have not gotten that sense at all. To me, everything is conditional about terms, what the trade-offs are, what the value is. And I just cannot see the Rockets in this scenario where we're talking about Basically, even with bringing Harden back on a short-term deal, you made some fair points that stylistically there are some things you're going to have to give up with regards to you know, running your offense through Shingun. Exactly how is Jalen used? Those are fair points. I don't think, and the same could happen with whoever you draft at number four overall in this configuration. I don't think that you're already making these trade-offs and then on top of that, just for one or two years that you're not going to contend anyway. That's part of why nobody's worried about Harden's playoff flameouts, as some people like to put it. It's not like they're trying to contend anyway. Why would you, given all of those trade-offs that are already there, let that impact what you do with an asset as prized as the number four overall draft pick, one of the only four lottery picks there is? It doesn't make sense to me. The Rockets push back on it pretty strongly. Again, if there's actual reporting out there that says, I've heard the Rockets are waiting the potential return of James Harden in what they do with the number four pick. Okay, that's fair. We can talk about it. But this whole rival executives think, why on earth would the Rockets be telling rival executives what they're going to do, not just with their draft pick, but with the upcoming free agency period? That makes no sense at all. Well, is, 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 it, not fair, is it not fair to also point out that, you know, rival executives might think XYZ because the Rockets are potentially probing for deals with the number four pick? Because that's the other element is, right, that the Rockets could mm-hmm. just as easily just, eh, we're content, take whoever's there for and we're happy, right? Sure, we're, not, do- we're not being proactive. We're just going to take whoever's there. They could also be probing for deals and maybe trying to see, you know, can they get a Mikhail Bridges? Can they get 
a Jalen Brown? Can they get an XYZ player to pair with a James Harden with his eventual return? And that's where so much of, I think. Sure, but they've done this every year. They, they always explore the market. And I don't think it's necessarily Hang tied on, to James Harden. We've talked about it before we even knew starting Christmas that Harden was a serious concern. We, or, we've got a quote for this, Ben. This is important. I would consider trading anything. Try and trade stuff for better stuff. There you go. Try and trade stuff for better stuff. Yes, uh, yeah. I, I look, Stone's a lawyer, right? He's gonna he's gonna yeah. do his due diligence. He's gonna point out. He's gonna say, you know, every for, year for, across three years, we've always gotten the same old spiel of, yeah, I might trade the pick, we might draft it, we don't know what we're gonna do. Like it's always the same old, same old. But before Harden even became a concern for a lot of people, we had talked about if the Rockets don't get Victor, then maybe they do consider dealing for a more veteran, not necessarily somebody in his 30s. That's too extreme because again, you do want to set yourself up for you know, potentially building a sustainable contender a few years from now, but someone who's a bit more ready to win now when you already have so many young prospects like Jalen and Jabari and Shingun. We've talked about that for a long time, going back to last offseason. So I don't think that's necessarily indicative of what they're going to do. It's interesting. I think it's noteworthy to talk about it in a hypothetical sense, and I'm in agreement with you that they should not do that. Let James Harden, I don't even agree. I've seen some say that, you know, Maybe James Harden returning and Scoot Henderson isn't the best idea. I don't agree with that. I think you can absolutely have both of them. For starters, James Harden's going to be 34 years old. He's going to have maintenance games. He's also going to have, in my opinion, at least 16 minutes per game that he sits on the bench, especially when we saw what happened to the Achilles this year. That's 16 minutes, hypothetically, that you could give Scoot Henderson to run the offense by himself. And then the other... 15 or so, he could play alongside James Harden the same way we saw Chris Paul do yeah, for see, a couple that, of years. That, that's, where, that's where I push back on that immediately because, again, Chris Paul was already a few a, a Hall of Fame point guard at that point. He didn't need reps or runway to, like, develop and get better. And but, Har- Harden playing alongside Scoot Henderson, one, do you think James is really willing – going to be willing to sacrifice 15 minutes of, uh, per game to give the ball to Scoot Henderson to let him make mistakes within the offense. There's, there's not, I don't if think he, there's a chance in hell. Like, if he's not, then I don't think he signed him. I think and, so, and, 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 and that's, that's the saving grace at this point is if you are, if you are still in the no James Harden camp, the anti James Harden camp, you need to adjust and redirect all the prayers that you were directing towards Wimby and adjust them and direct them towards praying that Scoot Henderson falls to pick number four because there is still a sliver of a chance that that happens. And if that happens, I think it absolutely is the one thing that does change the potential calculus on a James Harden return. Amon Thompson, Asar Thompson, whoever, cool. You draft them. You probably don't even start them. You bring them off the bench, bring them along slowly, maybe a la a more, you know, a Benedict Matherin kind of approach. Let them learn under the tutelage of a James Harden type. Cool. You do that. It's going to also, if you draft Amon Thompson, his shot's broken. You need two to three years to fix that shot anyways, to get him back to a, to a place where it's yeah. even, you know, a passable shot. So he's kind of a project pick anyways. But if you get Scoot Henderson, a guy who is ready to be an impact guy right from day one, a guy who addresses that big need for the Houston Rockets at the point guard position, I think it absolutely changes how heavily the Rockets do intend to potentially pursue James Harden this offseason. I don't think it does. I think it might change how much James Harden pursues the Rockets. I think your point on that is valid and that James might not want to make that sacrifice. But I think from the team's perspective, look, James has done this before. They want to think best asset available. James is clearly the most talented guy they can go after in free agency. And if ultimately they draft Scoot, it's because they believe that he's the best guy on the board at four, or maybe even they trade up for him. They take big swings. They think in terms of upside. And there are ways that it can work. Again, for starters, half the time, Scoot would be on the floor by himself anyway. And then in terms of the 15 minutes per game, which is not a monumental amount anyway, 
Is it perfect? No, but there are sacrifices that each of them can make, especially in the short term. And we're talking about basically just a one or two year band-aid as it is, could be as short as one year. You could potentially offload James Harden as an expiring, as we talked about earlier. I don't think the Rockets would be closed off to that deal. Now, your point earlier about James, I think he might. He might not want to make that sacrifice, especially if the Sixers are trying to win now and Daryl Morey is willing to move heaven and earth the way he has in the past to give James everything he wants. Maybe that makes a return to Philly more lucrative. I don't think necessarily would make the Rockets less interested. With all that said, from all the conversations I've had, and you summed it up well earlier, I don't think the issue right now for those such as yourself that are very high on Scoot Henderson is necessarily the Rockets not wanting Scoot Henderson because of James Harden. From everything I've heard, I think that would be misguided. I know you haven't said that, but I've seen that a few places on Twitter. I don't agree with that. However, where I see the issue is whether Scoot Henderson is actually in a tier alone, or at least the post-Wemby tier, as you were getting at. To me, that is the issue. If the Rockets view him in that way, then I think certainly they would draft him at four if he's on the board. They might consider trading up. They might prioritize him ahead of James Harden. I don't think that pairing is the issue. As I see it, and from everything that I've heard, the issue is whether Scoot is actually a tier ahead of Amon Thompson or Brandon Miller or Asar Thompson. That is the question that needs to be answered. And there's going to be interviews. There's going to be private workouts over the next month, and maybe we'll get a more clear picture. They're also going to do even more video analysis because, of course, you don't want to do too much work before the draft lottery because you have no idea who you're going to be in position to draft. So some of the work is just really getting cranked up right now. But from everything I've seen, the focus on the Harden-Scoot potential pairing and how these two are or aren't intertwined, I think that's being a little overplayed. Where the real issue, as I see it, is it comes down to what tier Scoot is in on their board and whether he clears the other guys conceivably in play. If he does, Harden or no Harden, I think they would be very interested in doing what it takes to get him. It's just, as I see it, that's the big question. How much do they value Scoot Henderson as a prospect relative to the other options? It's not so much the exact fit especially on a short-term basis with James Harden or anyone else they might get in free agency. Well, James Harden dominated much of this podcast, much the way that he dominates the basketball when he's on the court. Thank you for teeing me up for that one, Ben, via our our messages earlier. Uh, It is worth noting, though, that there is a tidbit regarding the Houston Rockets assistant assistant coaching search uh, via Kelly Eco saying that, uh, at least currently at this point, it's, uh, it's not quite known what the future will hold with assistant coach Mahmoud Abdel Fada. However, he was a part of the Rockets contingent doing NBA draft combine activities, and he's been a regular at the facility since the conclusion of the regular season. Look, you know, I said recently that between Mahmoud and John Lucas, if I had to place a wager on who I thought had a better chance of returning to the Rockets coaching staff and still being an assistant this next season with Emi Odoka, I think Mahmoud probably is going to stick around. The Rockets have had 
Nick Nurse and Chris Finch kind of come up through the ranks and do the G League stint, and they've had you know relative levels of success in their own right. Obviously, Nick Nurse, championship-level head coach uh, at the NBA level, and they are internally very high on what Mahmoud brings to the table, and I think he fits exactly the type of mold and the type of assistant that Udoka would love to have on his staff. Eko did also mention, though, that uh, Rick Higgins and Lionel Hollins are unlikely to return moving forward. Uh, ben, on that note, you know the drill. Let me know where to track you down at, man. Yep. Ben Dubose on Twitter, the Rockets Wire on Twitter, the Logger Line on Twitter, and rocketswire.usatoday.com for all of your daily Houston Rockets news coverage. And that's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also available on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.